0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: From software vulnerabilities to counterfeit electronics, agencies are grappling with risks throughout their supply chains. Now the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is setting up a new program to help feds and others put supply chain security policies into practice. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday joins me with the latest and Justin, what should people know about this new CISA program?
0: Yes, CISA is setting up this new program office to really provide training, roundtables, and other ways that really people can put all the supply chain guidance into actual operations. The office is being spearheaded by Sean Leblonovitz a former General Services Administration official, and she's now the lead for the Project Management Office. Uh, this ha- dates back to the passage of the Secure Technology Act in 2018. That established the Federal Acquisition Security Council. The council has since designated CISA as its chief information sharing agency for all of the supply chain security policies that the council is putting out. So that's what this new CISA office is going to be doing.
1: And what have they done so far? I mean, it's, the difficult thing is knowing where to begin, I suppose.
0: They're developing new training courses for supply chain risk management. They're also starting a series of roundtables focused on, quote-unquote, operationalizing cyber supply chain risk management. There will be three different tracks geared toward federal agencies, industry, and then state and local governments. And so some agencies like NASA you know, have long been leaders in managing supply chain risks. But Leblonovitz says others are still struggling with the basics. We've got to get to a point where we move out of this idea of just thinking broadly about c and really figuring out what chunks I want to start to tackle first, right? Creating that roadmap so that we can actually move this forward. But I think the thing that plagues agencies the most are, are two things. One, where to start. And two, how do I have that conversation with my leadership, right? The two most important things, because... If you don't have leadership buy-in, you can't get funding, right? You can't go hire people to help you do what you want to do.
1: All right. So these activities then line up with some legislation, too, right? There's been that concerning supply chain training.
0: That's right. There was the Supply Chain Security Training Act signed into law by President Biden last summer. It actually requires the General Services Administration to develop a training program, but in concert with DHS, CISA, and the Department of Defense. So you could see these two initiatives kind of lining up there. But there's a lot of training coming down the pipeline to essentially help feds understand, hey, there's maybe a risk in the software you're buying there.
1: And there's also a group that impinges on all of this, the Federal Acquisition Security Council. What are they doing here?
0: Yeah, well, it just got extended for 10 years uh, by the last NDAA, their their authorization. And they continue to coordinate government-wide policies and guidance on IT supply chain risk management. Uh, Jamie Clark, the senior advisor for the FASC at the Office of Management and Budget, spoke at the same conference that Leblonovitz spoke at. And he talked about how the FASC is coming up with a sort of a scorecard. For agencies to help understand where they're at with supply chain risk management. The FASC is
2: looking at developing a scorecard, but instead of just identifying another checklist that we're asking folks to fill out, we first want to identify where is everyone and then where do we need to go? Mm-hmm. What is What does best practice look like? And that incorporates identifying whether there needs to be a different context for small, medium, large. Is there a different context based on your mission? and trying to understand, again, more from the user's perspective, as opposed to issuing a policy or putting out a scorecard that we think captures all of it.
1: And that's the word from the Federal Acquisition Security Council. What about industry? Are they participating in all of these discussions? They're affected in some ways the most.
0: Yeah, Clark and other officials pointed the need to really understand industry's perspective on supply chain challenges. Contractors typically have more information about the companies and their supply chains and also provide products across multiple agencies, kind of putting them in a position to understand all these initiatives, uh, which ones are working and which ones aren't. John Boyance, deputy chief of the computer security division at NIST, has been working on these issues for a long time. And he says companies are, are participating in these conversations more than they were maybe a decade ago. Ten years ago, the reception I received from some industry colleagues, typically IT vendors, was go pound sand, here's my product, you get it if you want it. If not, it's a global market, we're going elsewhere. That's changed. Technology's so complex now that it takes that constant relationship between the supplier and the acquirer. That's not going away. So I think industry's been more accepting that, yeah, we do have risk, and that's John Boyen,s deputy chief of the computer security division at NIST. NIST just updated its publication on supply chain risk management last year. That's one place where the council is pointing agencies if they want to know where to start in all this.
1: And all of this training and all of this new initiatives coming out of CISA, these are aimed at the acquisition people mainly or also at the program people and maybe the IT people who have something to say about source selection?
0: Yeah, that's one theme I heard at this conference was it's really a cross disciplinary issue, supply chain security, you need to bring in the acquisition folks, of course, but the IT folks might understand the technology a little bit more, the sustainment folks. uh, And the folks who actually put these different products into operations all have a voice in these issues. So that's one thing that a lot of leaders on supply chain are stressing is you need to have sort of a big tent approach. And just
1: out of curiosity, we haven't heard much from the CMMC people, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program. Whatever happened to that?
0: Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point right now. The CMMC program was revamped a couple of years ago to make it a little bit easier on small businesses to comply with the cyber requirements. They are now putting together a rulemaking package at the Pentagon to actually implement CMMC and they have to send it to the White House Office of Management and Budget now. And that could take many months to clear and then get to a rulemaking period. So CMMC is kind of in limbo. Right now, it's on the cusp of becoming a reality, but we don't know how long this rulemaking is going to take.
1: Yeah, there's so much rulemaking going on across government right now. I mean, there is a lot of it, and it all has to go through the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, OIRA, at the White House, and I haven't checked in with them, but I imagine they're getting a little bit of a backlog here.
0: Yeah, I I think there's a lot of things stacking up for OIRA when it comes to CMMC, when it comes to other supply chain policies like software requirements and other acquisition policies. So it'll be interesting to be a fly on the wall at OIRA these days.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the suppliers hope it gets backed up for 10 years. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday, thanks so much.
0: All right, you got it, Tom.
1: And check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
0: Leadership Today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org get involved.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable, the things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care, and and I will say, you know, and on obviously, will say about my my family, my mother, and my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we we can't do enough to salute them. I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I. I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere that that, you know it's and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and, and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day but uh, man you see it it, and and the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded